Turn to the book of Leviticus. Now, you always know, when you tell people to turn to Leviticus or Deuteronomy, everybody's like, uh-oh, uh-oh. But each year around this time, I try to take off the many hats that I wear ministerially, the pastor hat, the, you know, help keep the lights on hat here around this church. And I try to put on my, if you wish, prophetic hat. Now, we believe at Grace that there's still, God is still speaking today. And we believe that God uniquely speaks through men and women. And so each year, I really inquire of the Lord, God, what are you saying for this next season? And let me say that this message that I'm speaking this morning, for men in many ways, is the most difficult and the hardest message personally that I'll ever deliver. Now that you're really nervous. And let me say, it's not that the message itself is bad or hard, but for me personally, it's this looming question, will you listen to and participate that which you're talking about? And so I'm not only, if you wish, preaching to you today, I'm preaching to me. But I believe that God has brought us into a unique moment. Let's look at it together. Leviticus Chapter 25, verse 10. Consecrate the 50th year and proclaim liberty throughout the land to all its inhabitants. It shall be a jubilee for you. Each one of you is to return to his family property and each to his own clan. The 50th year shall be a jubilee for you. Don't sow, don't reap what grows of itself or harvest the untended vines. For it is a jubilee and is to be holy for you. Eat only what is taken directly from the fields. And in this year of jubilee, everyone is to return to his own property. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, help us here today. Lord, let this not just be, quote, the first message of the year, one that we can say, uh-huh, that was good. But Holy Spirit, open us up now. Open us up to not only the possibilities, but the probabilities by faith that you are declaring to us in this moment. Jesus, help us. Amen. Well, the world didn't end last year. Just wanted to inform you if you weren't aware, we're still here. And yet, depending on what you were plugged into in reading last year, it was supposed to all come apart. Blood moons and, you know, the, the, the seven sevens and all of these types of things. Last year was supposed to be a bad one. And yet, here we are. But beginning in September, if you look at the Hebrew calendar... We've entered year 5776, and you say, what does that mean to me? Well, what it means is that it is the year of Jubilee. Now, the last time this occurred in the natural was at the end of World War I, somewhere around 1918. Fifty years later, roughly 1967. If you remember, that was a significant year in the life of Israel, the Six-Day War, where some land was granted back to them. 
And here we are again 50 years later, another year of Jubilee. Now, what is important for you is to understand you don't get to experience many of these in your lifetime. All right? Now, unless you've figured out something that the rest of us don't know, all right, is that you're going to get a shot at about one or two of these. Now, the last time that the year of Jubilee went by, I know I, I barely knew up from down, all right? I was young and dumber than I am now. But now that, you know, you get a little bit older, you begin to pay more attention to the calendar. Okay. But what does the year of Jubilee really mean? Now, if we look at chapter 25, and we don't have time to unpack all of the ramifications of it. But from that point on, verse 10 to the end of the chapter, it speaks about how Israel was to observe Jubilee. But here are some of the high points and some of the hallmarks of what Jubilee means. First of all, it was a year of redemption, which meant that anybody who had sold themselves into slavery for debt or they themselves were slaves, they were set free. All the slaves were set free. Secondly, it was a moment of restoration. God really believed that all the land belonged to him anyway. It's an interesting concept, isn't it? The earth and all that's in it belongs to the Lord. It's kind of, kind of biblical. And yet, sometimes as, as land, quote, changed hands, debt was incurred against it, etc. and so forth. In the year of Jubilee, the land was to resort back to its original family ownership. It all reverted back. It was a moment of rest, no sowing, no reaping. You're just going to eat what the land naturally produces during that period of time. And obviously, during this moment, it's a time of resetting and restarting. The Jubilee is a beautiful picture of what Christ has done for you and I. You realize you and I live in Jubilee all the time. First of all, redemption. All of our debts have been canceled. We celebrated the table here this morning, and all of the debts incurred against your life now and the ones that you will incur, they've been paid for. So you and I get to live in a jubilee reality regardless of the season that we're in. Your inheritance has been fully restored. Whatever you think has been squandered, whatever you think that you have not taken hold of, whatever you think the enemy has stolen, your inheritance is restored. All the rights and sons and daughters come back to you. And then finally, rest. Rest is a hallmark of believers in that we can rest from our own works and we can rest in his finished work of righteousness for you and I. And rather than just being born again, we have the opportunity to always do what? Start again. So as believers, in a very real sense, we see in Jubilee a reflection of what Christ has done for you and I. But there's also unique seasons that God brings us into that if we will properly recognize that we can step into some things that are very, very unique. But let me hasten to say this. This is a message to the church, for the church. It's not a message to the world. Jubilee was something that was unique to Israel, not to surrounding nations, but to God's people. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 12 through 13 
says, we've not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the spirit, expressing spiritual truths in spiritual words. So we've got to begin to hear spiritually, but we also have to begin to see spiritually as well. Because many times what we're seeing seems to be so in conflict, so opposite from that which many times we read about in the Bible or we hear declared from a pulpit. And we see this dichotomy, this conflict, if you wish, which I'll speak to in just a moment. But God needs to give us a different way of seeing things. A young man named Caleb, Numbers 13, one of the spies that Moses sent out to look at the land. And they're coming back and they're bringing this report. And Caleb has seen everything that the other spies have seen. This is a great piece of land flowing with milk and honey, but there are some serious bad dudes there. And we're going to need to bring our A game if we're ever, matter of fact, it ain't going to happen. We've seen them. They're big. We look tiny in their eyes. And yet this one young man, verse 30, silenced the people before Moses. He said, you boys just need to hush. This is a pretty bold young man. And he said, we should go up and take possession of the land for we can certainly do it. But the men who had gone up with him said, we can't. They're stronger than we are. You see, we need the eyes of Caleb. Caleb saw the same thing the other spies saw. He was assessing it in the natural just like the other ones, except he was seeing something the other ten weren't seeing. He was seeing something through the eyes of the Spirit. The possibility, the probability, the fact that this is the promise of God, but we're not never going to take hold of it just staying here and talking about how great it would be. We've got to move from where we are and go engage the enemies of the land that are keeping us from our inheritance. Caleb saw something. And like Caleb, for you to recognize in the Spirit that which God is doing and that which God is offering, it's not based on anything we're ever going to see around us. It's not going to be based on the environmental factors. And I want to give you five points for both recognizing and realizing jubilee in your life. Number one is understanding the paradox. And here's the paradox. Jubilee is not available in the world or through the world. As a matter of fact, you may see the very opposite happening around you that you are hearing this morning. Welcome to the dichotomy between the kingdom of this world and the kingdom of heaven. And we still look at the news, the Tao. We still look around us to get some sense of well-being. And we wonder why our emotions and our bodies are so jacked up all the time. Is that we're tying our soul to all of these things around the world and we're wondering, why am I so agitated? Why is my blood pressure out of the roof? Why is my cholesterol so jacked up? Except for all that fried chicken, but we'll move on from there. 
Life is short. Eat bacon. But like Caleb, like Caleb, what is happening in the world will always be paradoxical to that which God is wanting to release to his people, his church, and the kingdom. We look at the world. Luke 21 says, men's hearts failing them for fear of what is coming on the earth. And yet what did Jesus say in John 16? He said, take heart. What did he say? I have overcome the world. That was his promise to us. But it's how we negotiate, navigate this paradox. And this paradox is called life. Hear me? Will determine once again our health, spiritually, emotionally, and yes, physically. The refugee crisis. We look around the, the ref, oh my goodness, what's happening in Syria? All these people, the millions, the humanitarian crisis. Yes, it's a crisis. But I sat in Berlin, Germany in the fall with an evangelist church planner who is in the middle of these refugee camps in Germany. And he's saying, the nations are coming to us. Yes, we can look and we can say, how could this thing happen? And yet, we see now, rather than the gospel going to the nations, the nations coming to the gospel. Men and women who would never have heard it any other way because of what God, what, what has happened in the earth, now they're hearing this gospel. We hear the word Islam. We all, we go, oh. Anything associated, Muslims, oh. But could it be? Could it be that the visibility... Could it be the fact that this community now is finding itself in nations that are still preaching this gospel? Could it be that the greatest opportunity for evangelization is happening right now? Oh, but we're so scared of them. The only question for you is whether or not it's going to be a threat or an opportunity. That's the challenge. This is the paradox of living in this life. The economy. Ah! Saints, something's always going to be going on in the economy. China's propped up their stock market. They're dumping cheap steel. The Fed's done this to the interest rates. Something's going on with the euro. There's always going to be something going on with the economy in this world. The only question is, whose economy are you attached to? If you're attached to the world's economy, be very afraid. Yes, you have something to be worried about. But if you attach yourself to God's economy, how do I do that? Well, one, Malachi tells us one of the ways we do that is through a giving of tithes and offerings. We connect ourselves to God's economy, God's protection over our resources. But if we're looking for the Dow to somehow adjust or figure out what Apple's, what their stock's going to, yeah, you're going to be crazy. Er. <laughs> and I've heard so many prophecies about the economy. Oh, my goodness. 
My wife and I have the privilege of traveling a little bit, and we're in some prophetic conferences with some names of some people that some of you would recognize. And occasionally, some of these folk get it right. And more than occasionally, they don't. It sounds great, but I've heard so many missed prognostications as it involved the economy and what God was doing. So my thing is, why don't we just tie it to God's economy and be less concerned about what's going on in the world? And then this being an election year, how many of you have heard, oh, this is the most important election in modern times? Ever since I've been voting, I've heard the same thing. Are you with me? Oh, my gosh, this is it. This is Armageddon. This is it. I mean, the, Jesus is coming. If the blue people or the red people get in office, it's over. It's just over. Just pack it up. Move somewhere. But how many of you know that the hearts of the kings are in God's hands? God will set up or remove anybody that needs to be set up or removed. It's not complicated. It just depends on the paradox in which you choose to live. Are you hearing me here? Sons of Issachar in 1 Chronicles, it said they understood the times, but they knew what Israel was to do. They weren't trying to figure out what Washington or Munich or Tokyo was supposed to do. They were just, they understood what was happening but they knew what it was Israel was to do. And that's the wisdom that God has for you and I if we can recognize this moment of jubilee. First is paradox. The second is passage. Passage. Jesus spoke to Peter, said, I give, I'm giving you the keys to the kingdom. Powerful passage. And if you've been around the church for a moment, you've heard that many, many teachings and preaching about the keys. But, you know, keys are interesting in that when you're trying to quiet a child, what's what, what the most immediate thing you do is what? Hand them your keys. You can entertain a child with keys for a moment until they get older and hide them from you. <laughs> then it's not fun anymore because you don't get to go get an $8 key. Your key costs $200 to your car now. But, you know, children, they see keys as something, oh, they're fun and they're jingling and they make noise, but children have no idea what a key represents. They have no idea the value that that key holds to a half a million dollar house or a $40,000 car. They have no idea what keys represent. Could I submit to you for too long, Christians have been jingling their keys and not using their keys. They've been entertaining themselves and saying, we, I got the keys to the kingdom. Why don't you do something with them? And I believe God is giving us a divine moment that what has previously been locked down and closed to us, God is getting ready to open. I believe this speaks to jobs, promotions, financial things that you think the door has been closed and closed and closed. God says, ask again. Ask again. Knock again. Try that key one more time. Let me just tell you, he's the key maker. And he's the one that opens and closes doors. And one of the things about this moment of Jubilee, God is giving us passage that we've never had before. And for some of you, that passage is getting out of prison. Acts 16, Paul and Silas, beaten, thrown in prison, having a little worship moment. God comes, an earthquake, and the doors fly open. 
Do you realize that God has already opened the doors for many of us, but we're still sitting in our prison cell? And one of the things that's going to mark this season, and I've seen this in other places, is worship. Worship is going to release doors in your life. Now listen to me carefully. I'm not talking about this 15-minute snapshot that we have on Sunday morning. As wonderful as this is, and we get to do it with some other great people, let me just tell you, that's not worship. Worship is your life. Worship is what you think about. Worship is what you meditate on. Everything about what comes out of you is worship. This is what's going to release those prison doors. But some of us, the doors are wide open and we're we're still staring at them. Why? Because we're more comfortable with our bondage than we are with the responsibility of freedom. It's just easier for me to be identified with whatever my thing is. John 5, the, 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 the man at the pool, been there for 38 years. Everybody looking at the top of his head. Finally, one day, Jesus comes by and he says, get up. Now we think, oh yeah, well I'm up. Great. Now you've got to be responsible to walk in your freedom. You can't be a beggar anymore. You've got to gig up. You've got to pick up your mat. You've got to walk. You've got to join society. And for some of us, we would rather sit back in the bondage of our cell. Jesus has come. He's opened those doors. And we say, but I know what this is. Let me just tell you. Step into the unknown of your freedom and try that for a moment. But there is unprecedented freedom that's coming to us. Passage and permission that we've never had before. Third is possession. Truly owning something. I told this story the first Friday evening that we had a meeting in this facility. That at 9 o'clock that morning, we owned a building, but we didn't have access to it. We owned it. There was no debt against it, praise God. But there was only one small detail. We couldn't use it. Because all of the necessary inspections and permits, the legal aspects of us being able to use the building were not yet fulfilled. We had ownership without access. Now, in the weeks and months to come, you'll hear the miracle that happened on a Friday morning that only two or three folk had the privilege of witnessing there at the county. And yet God did something in that moment in a matter of hours that usually takes weeks and months A miracle occurred on our behalf, not to just give us ownership, but to give us access. And we need to redefine what possession is. It's not just ownership, it's access. And some of us says, I'm a kid's king. I own. Yeah, but do you have access to it? Are you accessing it with your keys? Are you accessing it through prayer? Are you accessing it through worship? That becomes the question for us in a moment of jubilee true possession. Joshua asked, how long, how long will you wait before you begin to take possession of the land that the Lord, your God, has given you? Past tense. It's already happened, but God is wanting to move us into a place of possession. And listen to me, saints, there are resources and gifts, both natural and spiritual that are going to be supernaturally released in your life this year. Some have been previously hidden, but now they're going to be revealed. 
Some folk are saying, yeah, but God is, God has hidden it from me. He's not letting me have it. No, he hadn't. He has stored it up for you for this moment. There's a difference in something being withheld and something being stored up. There's a big difference in the two things. Deuteronomy 28. The Lord will open the heavens and the storehouse of his bounty to send rain on your land in season. Say in season. And to bless all the work of your hands. And you will lend to many, but will borrow from none. Pastor Brett had a word about debt. That even as God has allowed this house, through your faith and your faithfulness, to step into this facility with no debt, the promise of no debt extends to you in this season as well. Part of the moment of Jubilee is that debts are canceled. And I want to prophetically declare this to you today that rather than 360 or 180 payments or 84 payments, God is going to accelerate a way for you to get out of debt as a promise of Jubilee. And even as he's done it in the spiritual, he's going to extend that promise to the natural. Somebody say amen this morning. The fourth word that God gave me was the word prodigals. Interesting word in this message, but God is going to bring the prodigals home to you this year. Every one of us have some prodigals around our life. Could be a husband, could be a wife, could be children, family members. But God is all about the prodigals. And you remember the story. And it was about inheritance. That this young man said, give me my share now. Went, blew it. Had a bad moment. Said, you know what, I, 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 I guess I'll just go back and see what happens. And it says his daddy ran to him. Socially, culturally, fathers did not run to their children. Broke all convention and all norms, saw his son coming, and ran to him. Said, go kill the fatted calf. The fatted calf only, one of those special sacrifices, usually held back for the Day of Atonement. Put the best robe, put my robe on him. You see, some of us are functional prodigals. We're hanging around... But we've never fully come into that which our daddy has prepared for us. Say, well, Pastor Jim, you don't understand. I ran away. I ran away with the stuff and I squandered it. Like your daddy doesn't have some to replenish it. <laughs> yeah, but I've already blown through it. Your dad's got it all. Amen. Let me just tell you. The cattle on a thousand hills, the gold, silver, the earth, and all that's in it belongs to him. Many times we just think, well, I, 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 I've, I've done it. You know what? My children who come to me, I mean, come on. Your kids don't get it right every time. They blow through their allowance. They blow through whatever. You don't say, well, that's it for you. You're going to be hungry the rest of the week. Shouldn't have spent all your lunch money. You find some extra, don't you? Your daddy's exactly the same way. And in this moment, God is going to bring the prodigals home, but he's going to deal with us functional prodigals that have been hanging around and are afraid to step all the way into our inheritance in this moment. Amen? And then last is the practice of Jubilee. The practice. 
You know, we can hear a word like this and we can say, wee! But the reality is, how do we practically practice these things? The first is what I call the practice of simplicity. How many of you have seen any of the HTTV or what, the tiny house thing? Anybody seen that? How to move you and your, move you and your wife into 200 square feet. I'd like to be able to fast forward 10 years and check that marriage. <laughs> to live that close together and have nowhere else to go. I'm thinking shoes alone would be the end of it. You know what I'm talking about. But the practice of simplicity, and we look at it, and once we get over the absurdity of it, we look at the philosophical of not being tied down to all of this stuff that is ultimately proving just to be a distraction around our life. My wife and I keep promising each other we're going to take all of our iOS devices and never bring them in the place where we sleep again. Because it's amazing that every time a text comes in, it lights up. And I've got some folk all over the world that don't respect my time zone. And that's some of the folks in my world that still don't respect my time zone. And so at 2 o'clock in the morning, it's coming off. It's coming. And, you know, and then, then we're looking and, we're, and we've got to check this. And it's just like, fool, why don't you just plug it in outside the room somewhere? And for all that this technology has brought us, it's amazing the complexity that it has as well. I mean, we just learned iOS 9, and next thing you know, iOS 17 is coming out. And we can't play Angry Birds anymore. I mean, it's just like this is way too much complexity for me. And yet, there's something on the inside of us that's desiring simplicity. Here's the problem. Simplicity doesn't exist. Because we live in a complex world. However, focus does. Focus does. Which takes me to my second practice is the practice of priority. Malcolm Gladwell talked about 10,000 hours. You got good at something. Really good. But you dig a little deeper and realize it's not just 10,000 hours. It's 10,000 focused hours. Well, I, my wife and I spent time together. You were on the couch watching movies. Thank you. That doesn't count. Well, you know, I, I read my Bible, Pastor. Yeah, and you were also working on your lesson plans for the day. But yeah, but I had my prayer time, yeah, and you were thinking about lunch. It's a practice of priority. And let me tell you, it doesn't just happen. We have to learn to be focused. Proverbs 4, let your eyes look straight ahead. Fix your gaze directly before you. Make level paths for your feet. Don't swerve to the left and to the right. Hebrews 12 talks about fixing our eyes on Jesus. And then the third is the practice of rest. You realize you have to practice rest because rest is something that's foreign to us now it's not foreign to God God invented it early on read your Bible God wasn't tired after day six he was finished 
and yet he set something in place for us. You realize it was the seventh day that didn't have a beginning and an end, but the other six did. Why? Is that there is a Hebrews 4 Sabbath rest that we are not just encouraged to dip in. It says that we should strive to enter that rest. Now talk about an oxymoronic statement. Strive to enter rest. But you know what? It's a great it's great language because most of us don't have a clue how to. We don't feel like we deserve it. We've got something else we need to do to earn ourselves, to earn our position before God and man. And therefore, rest is difficult for us. And yes, if we're going to participate in Jubilee, we have to develop the practice of rest. When I began this morning, I said that this was, in many ways, one of the most difficult messages for me to preach. And the reason for that is that I personally would not be found short of stepping into the fullness of this jubilee. I'm so challenged by this. God many times will... I'll, I'll step away from a ministry moment, and then God will, many times will come to me and say, are you listening to yourself? Or are you just speaking to everybody else? Let me just tell you, I want this message for me. And I want it for you. The only question for you and I, God has declared this a year of Jubilee. I believe that not just because the calendar dictates it, because I believe this is what the Spirit of Christ is saying to us. The only question is whether or not you will agree and receive. Five points. The first is the paradox. You're not going to find it in the world. It's only available to the church, through the church, God's people. The second is passage. What's been closed, God is opening. Ask again. Hear me. Ask again. Try the closed door again. Number three, possession. Not being satisfied just to have it on paper. We all have it on paper. It's called the Bible. The only question is whether or not we will access that which God has declared that we own. Four, prodigals. They're coming home. But if you're a functional prodigal here today, and you feel like, Pastor, I've just let my gifts go to seed. You know, I've squandered my inheritance as a son. Let me tell you, Daddy's got plenty more, and he's welcoming you home. And lastly, the practice of Jubilee. Simplicity, priority, and rest. Pray with me. Lord Jesus, let us hear something by your Spirit. Once again, so easy to step away from a moment like this. And say, okay, that was neat. We just check it and we just give it mental assent. But Holy Spirit, do something in this people right now. Put this word, not only in their spirit, put it in their hearts. Stick it in their brain. That they might meditate on this word and make it theirs.